Hey guys, today I'm really excited because next week we're launching a top secret new project that Badger's been working on for a long time. This is gonna be a way to celebrate sales leaders that have inspired all of us throughout our sales careers and create a great resource that everyone can use to perfect their sales craft. I'm really excited about this one, so stay tuned. Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I have Thomas Pasello with me, and we're going to be talking about how not to panic, and here's how you can close deals while remote. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for inviting me, Steve. So... By way of introduction, Tom, uh, the ROI guy, Pacello, is an entrepreneur, speaker, and author of the book, Evolved Selling, Optimizing Sales Enablement. Copyright here, Steve. So a little TM, Evolved Selling, I like that. (laughs) Um, So Optimize Sales Enablement in the Age of Frugalnomics. That's a that's a term I've never heard before before your book, Frugalnomics. I like that. I like yeah, that. it's the frugal economy, and it's one that we're we're really in right now, right? When you think about how the coronavirus is going to affect businesses, both mm-hmm. during this crisis and hangover, uh, there's going to be an economic overhang. Yeah. Uh, budgets are frozen, and I think sellers are going to have a difficult time getting perhaps their purchases through, uh, maybe early in consideration, but certainly in that final stages with uh, CFOs locking budgets down and putting spending freezes on. So, yeah, I just uh, had so a, frugalnomics is in full effect, as I like to say. I just had a call yesterday with my finance team, and where we we sat down on a on a Zoom call and uh, went through you know line by line all of our expenses and said, "Do we need to do that?" The most interesting one I think coming up is do we need office space for that team yep. or could they go because they there's one team in particular that's very seems very happy with uh, being being remote and we're like do we need office space for them if they'd rather be remote I mean should we just make them remote yeah. um, but I think I think people are rethinking a lot of things and, and, uh, and yeah I think if you've got a new proposal coming across the desk it's going to be incredibly scrutinized like never before. I mean, you already had to deal with a big buying committee uh, if you were selling anything into an enterprise, you know, whether that be six people or 10 people or gosh, we, we've seen some buying committees that are 15 or more. Uh, getting consensus <laughs> among that group was one thing. And now you've got these financial gatekeepers that are going to be empowered like never before to just say no. Yeah. Um, even if it's something that the business desperately needs. Uh, and then if you're, already have an existing account, let's say you're a growth salesperson or you're a customer success manager, um, almost every CFO is looking at their expenses and saying, okay, I'm just going to call them up and ask for a 20% discount or a 30% discount, Mm -hmm. uh, even when it's not up for renewal. And when it's up for renewal, I'm going to be forcing discounts. So one of our big recommendations, Steve, is, you know, sellers that are going to be faced with this frugalnomic environment, more risk adverse, more financially focused uh, and spendthrift buyers have to do one thing really well. And that's be able to communicate and quantify exactly how their solutions is going to help the business to save cost, improve productivity so you can do more with less and reduce risk going forward. And you have to be able to clearly articulate that when you're asked, 
but we think even more, you've got to do it proactively. So one of my recommendations, Steve, on that is if you're a, a seller on a new deal, is to proactively put together a business case for your champion, right? Don't wait for them to ask for it. Now, what is a business case? Well, for those who might not be familiar with it, it's the financial justification that that buyer needs to take to the CFO to compare the investment that you're asking that company to make against the business income, business outcome that you're, you can predict that they can likely achieve. And they're going to scrutinize that a lot, but you proactively providing it at least gives it a chance. So how can you help that company to save money, to cut costs that they might be spending on a legacy solution or legacy services or contracts they might not need? How can you help them do more with less? Improve productivity. So you're taking out the wasteful things that are wasting each one of their people's days and giving them those days back so they can be more productive so maybe they don't have to hire more people, um, or perhaps even let some go, but we like to think of it more as a productivity boost as opposed to a cut. How can you help them to avoid risks, uh, eliminate maybe machine downtime or things like that? And then how can you help them to capture the precious business growth that they could have? And by comparing those benefits that you can potentially deliver versus the cost, you can then justify in that purchase and get to the top of the stack. Now that's not gonna say you can bust through that spending freeze, but darn it, if you don't have that, how the heck are you gonna bust through it all? How are you gonna get any priority from those financial executives? Uh, and I think that that's gonna be something that a lot of sellers struggle with if they don't take the time to put together those business cases for the prospect. And then one other important element on that, Steve, too, that we recommend is the numbers are important, but they're there to tell a story and it's your unique value story. So make sure that you put storytelling around the numbers. Like don't just put here's, you know, 200% ROI is what you're going to get. It's got to tell a story and tie to the company's challenges, their strategic goals. Um, it's got to make sure that, you know, you're illuminating the challenges and the benefits and how you got there, not just a magic number that all of a sudden appears. And then one other thing, if I can jump in too, we talk about, you know, a new product sale. If you're trying to justify in your service to the organization, you have a renewal that you're struggling maybe to get renewed, you've got to do a business case on what you've delivered to the organization. So if you've got an existing customer, don't expect them to just re-up because you've got good adoption of the product and they've been using it well. You've got to prove to them that you've delivered real bottom line impact to that organization. And so you've got to put together what we call a realized ROI, a realized return on investment business case. So not just saying we've gotten good adoption and good usage, but how has that adoption and usage actually impacted the business? Again, how you help them to save costs and eliminate costs, improve productivity, reduce risk, or grow the business. One of those four different pillars, how have you contributed to a business impact and business value within that organization? Really great advice. I mean, just, just incredible. I mean, the, the, uh, this is something that we have certainly had to incorporate. Um, well, we, we've always we've always had you know our 
our ROI document that we that we provide people, um, our, you know, prospects or customers, or or I guess I've never really thought about getting giving it to existing customers or, or before their their renewal. That's a really great call. Yeah, and, or do uh, it in QBRs, direct quarterly business reviews, which a lot of customer success managers have, and doing it on a regular cadence. So doing mm-hmm. kind of value checkups, and maybe not everyone, maybe every other one, right? So once every six months, but not waiting till the end on those renewals. That would yeah. be great, a great element to add. Because I do think every spending line item, particularly for software as a service, recurring uh, services, is really going to be scrutinized coming up. Mm-hmm. If you're not already receiving calls today that says, oh, what are we spending you know, $100,000 a year on the service for? Why can't we spend 80? They'd be mm-hmm. willing to give us a, a discount, right, just to keep our business. And that's going to be the attitude of a lot of CFOs coming up. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and we've always uh, had a challenge where, you know, obviously we provide stuff for field salespeople. So they want the thing that we're doing because they're going to sell more if they have it than their, and their managers understand it. But we've always had this leap to the CFO who's like, why don't they just use Google maps or something? I, I don't yeah. understand. Well, why, like it's, it feels like you're asking me to pay for something that we should just, this is a part of the rep's responsibilities to figure this out. Isn't that what we pay them for? And so we've always had that, you know, kind of a, in many, in many cases, there's been a disconnect between the CFO understanding the value proposition. And, and, and so we've, we've always had a spreadsheet to really walk through and try to monetize, um, you know, okay, well, if they're driving 20% less then you're paying 20% less, you know, fuel, or if you're reimbursing them on their mileage, 50 cents a mile or whatever, however yep. you're doing it at your company, like that right there is going to pay for it. But the, and then we'll, and then we'll break down the other five areas. They get, they get actual financial gain, but do having that conversation, it's as a part of our sales process, we need to arm our sponsor at an organization to exactly. be able to go have that con- who's you know, maybe the VP of sales. We need to arm him to go talk to the CFO and, 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 and kind of translate what it is that we do into, into, into accounting speak to, to show this is the actual value, the soft and the hard cost. Um, but I think you, you're absolutely right. We're going to have to do that for every deal going forward. for the Yeah, next and everyone, and that's something that we mandated at even our company where we build these tools for companies for a living. Um, they weren't doing it in every deal and they weren't doing it proactively. And we flat out said, look, you've got to proactively go in every QBR you got to have this value statement. You got to reiterate the value we've delivered to them so that mm-hmm. they're not seeing it for the first time when they're coming to you to cut, right? Cause then they know, well, you're just creating this to be defensive or mm-hmm. um, you're delivering it for the first time when a renewal's up. No, they, they, they've got to buy into this over time. So there's a collaborative aspect to it too, that I think is important so that the mobilizer or champion that you're working with has worked with you to put this together. And so they can defend it to the CFOs and the executives you're taking to. And Steve, you pointed it out. It's not necessarily for them. They already love you. They've already yeah. bought in, right? They're, they're champions, but they're being asked, where can you cut? And they oftentimes have to justify not only your solution, but their existence within their organization. Mm-hmm. So they're under pressure. And the more you can make them um, be able to answer the question of what have you done for me lately and what is this investment delivering to us without them having to then scramble and put it together, the better off of a job you've done. You've actually held them up and said, look, you can be a hero within the organization mm-hmm. because here's what you've been able to do and deliver. And maybe their peers within the organization aren't able to come up with those kind of um, dollar figures of contribution that you're able to help your 
champion, your hero to achieve within the organization. Yeah, well, Tom, you've already you've already won my heart and mind. I'm I'm sending this uh, I'm sending this podcast in raw form to my to my VP of CSAs, uh, you know, customer success people, the people that manage yep. our existing customers. I'll be sending this to them immediately after this show. <laughs> now, the trick there on the realized ROI is how do you um, do it on observable metrics, right? So getting to those key performance indicators. So you're gonna predict ahead of the sale, like here's how many driver miles we can help to reduce. Here's how much reimbursement we can help to reduce. Here's how much time we can save the reps who are scrambling to figure out maybe what the next priority is, or or here's how we, lit, we updated the priorities so they're working on the, the top priorities first. Um, each one of those has kind of an observable metric to it that you're gonna predict an impact before you sell, and then you've got to be able to measure it after the sale and, and work collaboratively with the customer to measure those and then translate those over to dollar figures and keep the KPI impacts and create maybe a dashboard of the KPIs along with the dollar figures. Because some organizations, you need to get to a dollar figure because it's frugalnomics. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there are also KPIs that are important that will then show that you've done the homework that led to the dollar savings. So both of those are important, again, to tell the complete story around your value. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. Um, well, to, to transition to the, to the next topic here, uh, mm -hmm. the, uh, we, we, I wanted to talk about, um, in general, how, how field salespeople can close deals now that they have been forced to work remotely. Um, you know, so many, you know, our, our audience is obviously field and outside salespeople and their management teams. And these guys are, you know, usually in the field, meeting with people face to face. And now suddenly because of, uh, because of the COVID situation, they're now working from their house. They're not able to go face to face. Um, so I'd love to, to get your, your take and your, your thoughts around that. Um, so for, first of all, you know, what, what do you think are the major challenges salespeople face while selling to a prospect who is now working in their home uh, compared to when you can go and sell to them face-to-face -face in their office? Yeah, so I think a couple of things, you know, quotas don't sleep. So we got to be as effective now selling remotely as we did in person. And I think one of the big keys there is we've got certain customers of ours. There, there's a lot of CPG, consumer product good companies, Steve. And a lot of them um, are still using paper. So they'll go to a store and they'll have, here's you know a list of our new products or here's a paper-based presentation. Let me walk you through it. Obviously that's not gonna work, right? Now that you're online, sharing some of these documents is very clumsy and certainly uh, even sharing the presentation be, can be clumsy. And if you relied on leave behinds, those are hard to share. So a lot of times you've got to have a sales enablement or an executive team help you, right? Put together interactive product brochures that can be shown in online meetings, um, helping to assemble the decks into that system and then creating what are called shareable links, links that you can share with customers. But you've got to figure out a way to transition from where you were used to doing paper to now being able to present online in a Zoom leading, meeting like we're doing. And then you have to go beyond that because just having the material there is one thing, but what did you do when you were interacting with that customer in person? You were doing video, looking them in the eye, and you were figuring out a way to collaborate with them. And that to me is the toughest transition. A lot of times what we see is when a seller starts using Zoom, they won't use video. 
um, which you absolutely have to do. It has to be a personal touch. We long for that social connection. And now that we're social distanced and people distanced, we're longing for that even more. So just us being in sharing video in this session, it's making me connect with you. I can see who you are. I know who you are. You know who I am. And we're relating. And body language is a huge communicator. What I see a lot of salespeople fall into is they don't use the video and then they pop a presentation up and they walk the customer linearly through this very bullet-oriented traditional presentation. And what happens to the audience? Well, the audience has other things they can do. When you're sitting in front of them and you're sharing video, you can see when someone's distracted. When you're online now and your presentation is up, you can't see what they're doing. They likely have other Google windows up. Uh, you know, they're, they're doing Google searches. They're looking at their stock quote to see how much money they've lost or gained today. They might be looking at health reports, right? It's, it's very much a crisis-oriented environment, and there's a lot vying for those people's attention. And you have to make sure that you're keeping that connection. So video to video, very important. If you do use a presentation, it has to be visually compelling. Um, we now have the attention span that is less than, it's about eight seconds long, and that's down from about 14, 15 seconds just a few years ago. Microsoft did this great study on this. Steve, that's less than the attention span of a goldfish. So we have to grab their attention. And how do you do that? Video is one great way to do it. Your presentations have to be very compelling and they have to be visually compelling, not your traditional bullet-driven slides. And you have to find a way to collaborate. So you still have to do the things as a seller, not rely on a linear presentation or an endless type of demo where you're going through every feature. Instead, how do you figure out how to transition to an interactive and a collaborative engaging session? And that's not always easy to do. The acronym I like to use on these calls is when you're now using the Zoom call, it's DPF, Diagnose, Prescribe, and Facilitate. And that should guide your interactions, right? Everything that you should do on a value-added basis should be ordered orienting towards how you can ask the right questions to diagnose the issues the customer might be having and hopefully reveal some unmet needs. How do you then prescribe a solution and a use case that solves that specific solution and then demonstrate that? And then how do you facilitate? They've got a gnarly decision-making process that they're trying to deal with. Different stakeholders within the organization, now this whole financial approval process that we discussed, which is tightened down, and how do you make that buyer's journey easier for them? So whatever you do in your presentations, orient it around that order of how I'm gonna help the buyer, how I'm gonna help collaborate to diagnose their issues, prescribe a solution and jump to the right use case or demo or um, presentation piece, we call them little vignettes that you can jump to that tell that story. And then how do you facilitate the journey so that when you're leaving the call, just like when you left that sales call and you maybe left behind the brochure and the data sheets for what they were interested in and the presentation, that you're leaving them behind post the meeting with a package. Um, we call it a collection. And, and maybe it's in a shareable link, even better, that you can see that they consumed it. But how do you leave them with a collection that's going to that then they can use as champions and mobilizers within the organization to then socialize what it is that you wanted? So a little bit of a long answer there, but you've got to kind of rethink for a short attention span theater. And you can't forget as a salesperson to add value to the process and make it collaborative. Absolutely. Um, 
So that's on the sales side. What about on the churn side? We mentioned uh, the, the concept of proving out your ROI with customers that you, you currently have. What are, what are some other thoughts you have about how to keep your business relationship going with people who are, uh, who are currently you know, experiencing uh, the, all the problems that come with COVID? Yeah, there's there's a lot being spoken about of uh, empathy, empathy, right? And as a seller uh, in churn, I, I think as a, a new prospect, that definitely needs to be there as well. And in the diagnosis of what you're working with the customer on, you need to show a lot of that empathy. When it comes to churn, it's a lot the same, right? Um, find out first before you jump into anything new that you want to present, like you might be really proud, Steve, of some new features your solution has. So I've seen in quarterly business reviews, a lot of customer success people just want to jump on and say, hey, I can't wait to tell you about this new release we've got, right? And then they go in and demonstrate all the new features or, hey, I really want to emphasize these couple of things to you. Again, don't do that. Diagnose, be empathetic with the prospect and say, hey, how is it going? How has your world changed? Um, how has um, the solution doing for you? You know, is it delivering what it should be? What do you expect it to deliver? Where are the gaps? And so you're trying to help diagnose where their issues are that you maybe can help address that and maybe these issues have changed, right? And challenges have changed. On your product as a great example, um, driving isn't a big issue as much anymore, right? So now you want to maybe emphasize other features of the solution, but you have to kind of talk to them about the challenges they're having before you jump to those other features to make sure the sellers are using them and adopting them. So I think it's, again, the whole diagnose, prescribe, and facilitate of diagnose where they're at, whether they're having challenges of adoption and usage, um, where they're using it, the use cases they've had for the solution, and maybe how those use cases are changing through the crisis and the hangover. And then ultimately, how can you help prescribe maybe some improvements, maybe some differences, maybe some customization, maybe some other ways or training that you can get to overcome some of the challenges and issues, and then facilitate. How are you gonna help them to facilitate justifying their use of your solution and their use of your product back to the rest of the organization? And that I think is a good recipe again for how to help churn, not just new customers. Fantastic, yeah, fantastic yeah. advice. Um, you know, it, for, for sure what we've seen or, and what I think we're gonna see more and more of is that budgets are tightening and, and you know, CFOs are just gonna go through line item by line item with a, with a fine, item, fine tooth comb and see what, mm -hmm. where, they can, where they can slash costs, where they can eliminate things, where they can lower things. Um, this creates so many challenges for, for salespeople both trying to gain and keep their, their customers. Um, what do you think salespeople can do to overcome these challenges and what else, what else should they yeah. be thinking about? Do you have examples of how field salespeople can provide this provide the meaningful value that will, will get their thing kept and something else slashed in these, in these challenging times. Yeah. And you are, you're going to be competing against other uh, budget line items endlessly in this environment. So what can you do? Well, we've got a great um, customer Okta that it does security management and they're mm -hmm. kind of a, a darling software as a service company, but um, they've got a great value practice. And there are three things that their sellers can do to help 
justify solutions in. One is they do what's called a value assessment real early in the selling process. So they'll walk a customer through an easy to use tool where they collect a little bit of data about the current account and opportunity, you know, how many users they have, how many applications they manage, and then they'll do a pro forma business case. So within the first call or two, they're already talking value, not talking product, or at least partially talking value and collaborating with the customer on what challenges they have. And by solving those challenges with Okta, what value can be delivered? So what are your challenges? What are those challenges costing you today? The cost of doing nothing and remaining with the legacy password, forget kind of problems that you're having today. Um, how can Okta help solve it? And then what ultimately is the value that can be delivered? And that's done very early in the sales process. And then later in the sales process, they put the investment in and do much more of a formalized ROI business case for that customer. Then, um, the customer sometimes has an alternative, like you spoke about, you know, maybe you could use Google Maps instead of Badger, right? So what can you do to fend that off? Well, they have a, a total cost of ownership tool that says, you know, if you build this kind of a application, if you build an identity and access management system out of open source, here's what it'll cost you compared to just buying our product off the shelf, which is way less expensive if you go through all this effort of trying to build this yourself. Because build versus buy is going to be something you're going to compete against a lot. Mm-hmm. So what are and you going to compete against in this environment? Yeah, I, I feel like we for if we could we could do a whole uh, a whole show on build versus buy. Not, nothing. Mm-hmm. I, that's always been my pet peeve. It's all, there's always some some uh, someone in the sales in the organization you're selling to who's like, couldn't we just whip this together? And I'm yeah. and I'm always like, dude, I've spent like. $20 million whipping this together over eight years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you and your three engineers are going to go whip this together. <laughs> yeah. What is it going to cost you to build it, to maintain it, right? They don't think of the evolutionary costs and now they're owning that and three developers are distracted instead of working on the business. So yeah. there's two things you face pre-sale that are your biggest competition. And it's not the guy up the street that's got a competitive solution, right? It's do nothing, mm-hmm. status quo. How are you going to bust their status quo of just sticking with the legacy way that they've been doing it before and build versus buy? And those are the two big things there. Now, the third thing that Okta does is once they've got that customer, they want to make sure they're a customer for life and not just a customer for life. So they'll go in in their quarterly business reviews and says, okay, based on you've licensed a thousand licenses from us, right? You've got 5,000 people in the company, but you only have one division up and running with us. So that's a thousand people. And you know what, out of those thousand, we're noticing that you only have 500 active users. You haven't activated 500 of your licenses. So what do they do? They go in and say, okay, the 500 people you have using us based on what you gave me from data before and after Okta, here's how much we're saving you, $2 million a year. Right. Then they say, well, if we just get those 500 licenses you've already spent money on, if we get another 500 people using this, it's another $2 million a year. And if we get the rest of your organization licensed, it's $8 million a year. Oh, and by the way, there's three, three other packages, three other modules you're not even implementing. And here's what those three modules will deliver. 
So the QBR is, here's what we've done for you. Here's what we could do with the licenses that you're not even using. Here's what we could do with you if you expand the scope of our reach within the organization. And here's if you expand the scope in terms of modules. So every QBR is driven by these four different kind of parameters that they're able to quantify for the buyer. And so they've got just this excellent practice of fighting status quo, fighting build versus buy. And then once you're a customer, here's a portfolio of these four different dimensions of value that we can deliver of what we've done for you, what additional licenses can do for you of adopting additional licenses, and then ultimately uh, improve scope and increase scope with Okta. So great example of how to do it. Now, the other advice I'll give field sales is financially justify across those dimensions, definitely, and work with your team to put together models to help to do that credibly. But there's another big thing, Steve, I think in field sales that we have to realize is that when budgets are tight, you're going to get no and you're going to get disappointed a lot more. And I think one of the keys is, is to try to keep a winning mindset through all this bullshit you're going to be presented with, right? There's going to be, you're going to work your ass off to get that proposal and to get yes from the champion. And then all of a sudden you're going to walk into the, well, crap, there's a budget freeze. Don't give up. Keep your winning mindset. That sale will be there, right? It'll come, but keep your winning mindset and try to, there are going to be small victories you're going to gain throughout the journey. And you're going to have to treasure those because you may get to the end and get the door shut in your face temporarily, I do want to add, because you will get there if you keep making the case and keep doing these things, right? So celebrate the small wins that you've got and just try to keep a winning mindset through a lot of no, which is what you're going to get, unfortunately, in these times. But if you keep a positive attitude through it and don't let these no's kind of stack up, on you, I think that's going to be really important in terms of being able to overcome some of these unique challenges that we're faced with. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've uh, this is this is something I should talk to my sales team about because I, you know the way I, from, from the bird's eye view here of the company, I'm seeing a, t a ton of they're they're doing just as many trials and like people are engaging just as much now. I think you know it, it, there's actually a ton. We're of seeing even more so, yeah, be, because yeah. they're everyone's getting a chance to actually look at. There, there are a ton of people that want our product, but didn't have time to look at it or implement it or evaluate it. And now they're yeah. actually getting that time, but then they're not making a purchase right now because yep. their guys aren't in the field. And so they're, I think they're, everyone's just kind of like getting through their sales cycle, coming to the end and saying, well, we're, our budgets are frozen and we, we don't need this until people go back into the field. So we're just going to, yeah. we're just going to yeah. sit on the decision until, uh, until we're, we're able to press go on it. And, so uh, my advice for you there, Steve, would be, can you make the case when people are not on the road, make that financial case, right? And go over mm -hmm. the use cases for not being on the road. So don't give up on that. Keep trying to close it, but the door still may get shut in your face. So make your team be able to celebrate the wins up to that point where they've got someone who's committed and almost celebrate the commits, even though the sign off may be coming a quarter later. Yeah. And don't yeah. beat the crap out of them to get that sign off. Because I yeah. see too many sales leaders, and I'm not one, right? I'm more on the side in 
and enablement and consulting and advice to kind of enable sellers to do better. Um, but I see too many sales leaders are going to be under pressure to deliver those numbers. Um, you cannot beat a salesperson up who got to commitment but is facing a budget shutdown within that organization yeah. if they did the business case, right? So if they haven't done that business case and they haven't tied the use cases to things that they can take advantage of today, then I'd say beat them up. But if they've done everything they can, try to not to beat them up because they'll get frustrated and, and perhaps leave when times become good, right? So you want to still mm -hmm. make sure that they've got that positive mindset and that winning mindset. Yeah, I think that's really important advice for for managers and, and VPs because of sales. If, if, you, if you beat up your team right now, they're going to turn around and beat up your customers and it's actually going to end up costing you because there's nothing... There's probably your, your 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 reps are trying to do what they can do. Your customers are probably just treading water, and mm -hmm. they, we just have to let go of our. Uh, what what I've been telling people is we, we just to let go of our of our expectations for this quarter, and and uh, and and refocus on let's let's make the goals for the year by catching up in in Q3. Hopefully, with people back on the road in Q3, but. Yeah. Um, you know, and, let's, and Steve, let's, I think important there, yeah, is making sure that it's up to the commit standpoint, right? Like mm -hmm. get get more to commit, but know that that sign off isn't going to be there because I think we can't let them off the hook completely, right? Because there mm -hmm. are going to be more opportunities and they still need to facilitate that journey. But getting as far as you can within every company, I think is important and just trying to manage to that to get to commit, but maybe not get to sign off and, and that finalization. So yeah. my, my advice is um, manage to commit, not close. Yeah, boil, boil down to that one objection. If, if, your, your, if your people were able to, if, if life was going back to normal and your customers were showing up, or in our case, your reps were able to get back on the road, would you be, would you be purchasing right now? And if it, yes, that's, that's the, that's the, it's, you want to, you want to boil down to one objection and, yeah, and, and if you want it to be great. that objection and you want to get the commit, if you were able to remove that objection. Yeah. Great. And if you can't get great over great. that objection, yeah. You know, then, then hopefully the only other objection is if you get over all other ones, maybe it's a spending freeze. We have one client that's doing that now. So what we're doing is we're getting them completely enabled and they're going to even start using the product. Now we're not giving them a full way to do it outside of pilot. Mm -hmm. But we're getting them to use it with select accounts and trying to add value to them right now, knowing that that budget freeze is hopefully two months away, three months mm -hmm. away, maybe six months away tops from free it's from freeing up. But yeah. you know, so so try to be empathetic and try to get that customer as far as you can, and maybe even give a little bit away. You know, don't give it all away, but give a little bit away so that when it does pop, that one objection goes away, then they don't have an excuse of saying yes. You know, I mean, we want to set people up because what's going to happen is we're, everyone's going to get released and everyone's going to want to be set up at the same time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to have a preset. I agree. We're, we're yeah. going to have a real problem. <laughs> yeah. everyone's, going to, everyone's going to want to press unpause at the same time. And exactly. It's, the world is going to, is going to, you know, and that's the hope for the V-shape recovery, right? It is. The and I'm a fan of that. Yeah. I do think that hopefully we'll get some of that. I'm an optimist. So as being an entrepreneur, I'm sure you are as well. You know, we yeah. tend to be pragmatic, but optimistic at the same time. So I'm, I'm hoping for those times again, but planning for, you know, the, the, the worst, but keeping that winning attitude through it, you know? Are there any other tips that you have um, for salespeople to 
to uh, make their quota and show their accountability during this time to maybe a management team that isn't as, uh, as empathetic? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is making sure that you're clearly documenting, you said it well, you know, what are the objections and working collaboratively with your management to help overcome any objections that might be there. And if it's a financial objection, make sure you're proactively doing the business case. I think the more you can tie to solid use cases and outcomes, the better off you're going to be. And so try to do that with every account that you've got and work with your management so they understand those use cases and outcomes and how, how valuable you're going to be to that customer when the commit does occur and the um, close eventually occurs so you can get that customer to yes. And um, do you have any, any advice for managers to help motivate your, your salespeople right now? Um, you know, we talked a little bit about, about, uh, about this before, but what, what other thoughts do you have on, on motivation? Yeah, I think it's going to be very hard for sellers in, um, and they're going to get more no's than they're used to. So I think the biggest piece of advice I have for managers and coaches is stay close to your team, be very empathetic, um, and try to help them to move all these deals as far through the funnel as and the, the sales stages as you possibly can. Um, but really trying to keep that winning attitude amongst the team. I've already seen some, some sellers get very disheartened um, because of that last mile, that last little step where they've done so much work to get a deal through where they've won the RFP and they got the customer to commit to us. And all of a sudden, budget freeze, what can you do? Be empathetic to that, you know, and, and try to help them to get as many deals through up to that point and reward them for the steps along the way, more so than you would have, I think, in times past where, you know, it's only that number at the end of the quarter that matters. I think this is a quarter and maybe next quarter is a quarter where the number at the end of the quarter isn't, that's not the scoreboard. The scoreboard is something different and try to find what that is for your organization and make sure you're rewarding and holding up people that get to that you know, second or third place um, spot instead of just rewarding the absolute winner or absolute outcome. Yeah, it, it's just, I think it's a really disheartening time in business in general, obviously, but, but for salespeople, it's, uh, you know, they, salespeople live on their commissions and uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the gears of the economy have locked up here. And so across the board, I mean, every, you know, probably 85% of the salespeople in the world just saw their commissions dry up. Now it's obviously not as bad as being a bartender or a, a server in a restaurant who just, it's absolutely shut down. But, yeah. but uh, I think, it, I think it's a really disheartening time for, uh, for these guys. Whereas yeah, and I you think know, you've got to just do people, it as a it's delay. Affected, yeah. it, it's affected them less, right? Like I look at my engineering team and, and you know they're all working from home, but they're producing at the same rate and kind of doing the same job. And you know, not not that they're obviously making the same amount of money. Like it, not, nothing's really changed for as much for the engineering team. Whereas if you're a, a salesperson or a server or a bartender, this is a, a really yeah. Tough time. Anywhere from fifty to hundred percent of your income just dried up. Um, I think right. you know for any of them, it's just 
this is temporary. It's a shock for those who went through 9-11. I started um, my current company, which is now part of Mediafly, but Alinean, we were ready to launch the company. Our press release was ready to go on the wire on September 11th. And four of us had left our job, we're ready to launch a company, and we couldn't pick the worst day in the history of this country to launch a business. And everything froze, business froze. We couldn't yeah. get return phone calls. You know what though? The, we were empathetic, we stayed there, we still tried to make progress with any customer we could, and we knew the budgets were gonna be frozen for a while. But you know what, when they unfroze, we were right there, we were first. Yeah. And we were ready and we had helped them to get ready. Uh, our sellers stayed in the game, the buyers, and they kept the buyers in the game. And when things unfroze, we were first and ready. And I think that's what we have to instill in our teams is that this is temporary. It's a temporary setback. I'm not going to beat you up. Don't beat yourself up over it. We know that you're not missing quota is not because you're a bad sales rep. Right. It's not, it's just strictly, we had this crisis, we had this natural disaster and it froze up the environment and you're just a victim of that. Do everything you normally would do, you know, be extra empathetic. I mean, there's some things that you shouldn't be doing, right? You shouldn't be overselling or beating your customer up and things like that, but you know how to sell, keep doing those things, get every deal as far along, get it to that commit stage or know exactly what the objection is. And then when things unfreeze, we're going to be ready to overcome that one by one by one. They're all going to fall and you're going to have your best quarter ever and make up for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the attitude. Well, the next section of our show is called sales in 60 seconds. Okay. Where, you know, short, short questions, short answers. Uh, first question, what are common mistakes you're seeing salespeople make right now? I think they're using uh, traditional presentations and approaches for online meetings when you've got to realize it's a short attention span theater that you're presenting to, and you've got to change it up, be much more visual, compelling, use your video, use visually compelling presentations, and remember DPF, diagnose, prescribe, and facilitate throughout the session. Make it collaborative. Yeah, I've, I've been telling salespeople that I advise to... Uh to get from, if, if you're doing something in 30 minutes in person, you got to say the same things in 10 because it's, just, it's so much harder to communicate, you know, over zoom and, and hold people's attention and hold be interesting. Attention. You know, you're, you're, you're funny and engaging and, and interesting in person over zoom. It's, it's flatter. And so you got, and they're get, stuck in a get... conference room with you, right? They're not yeah. stuck there. They've got their dog running around barking at the postal guy, which I'm surprised mine didn't bark during this <laughs> session. Honestly, <laughs> you know, the kids are home and they're, yeah. I, we had a meeting the other day. I mean, the, woman or the gentleman, they're, they're trying to entertain their kids and making sure they're educated and entertained and they're distracted with that. And then yeah. there's news that you just have to keep up to during the day a lot of times because we're distracted by it. So I love mm -hmm. your, I think in terms of vignettes, short stories, short approaches that you can take, it's all about the, the 30 minutes down to 10 minutes, I think is a, a great wise piece of advice you've given your sales team. So uh, what is your number one tip to handle difficult conversations that are coming up right now? Yeah, I think that difficult conversations to me are going to be a lot around we, we can't move forward. Uh, we want to cut what we're spending with you. Give us 20% discount. There's going to be a lot of discount discussions. There's going to be a lot of no discussions. 
I think the more you can tie everything back to business outcomes that you're delivering, the better you're going to be able to fend off the financial scrutiny that you're going to get, whether that's a discount request, a budget freeze, another project taking priority. Uh, we can't renew with you this year. Um, we're going to have to pause this. You know, all those discussions are going to come. Uh, if you're out there in the field, you're going to get those discussions coming up. And the more you can tie everything back to here is the business outcome that is solid, that we both agree on, that we've delivered. Take this to your management. That's the best you can do. Yeah. You may, you may still get those requests, right? <laughs> still may be a difficult conversation, but you've proven your value and worth to that person. And, and then they can prove their value and worth and your value and worth in proxy to the rest of the organization. So important. Um, one thing that I've been telling people uh, at other companies and our company, um, you know, that this is a short term disaster. So when people ask for discounts or to quit, um, you want the, you want it to be a short term uh, discounting or pausing of their of their usage of your, of your service, not a forever. And so, you know, we're, if if they want to. If they want to quit, you know, or, or pause, make sure you're you're showing them how easy it is to get back on and and, and absolutely and be how, empathetic how you're to do that. Yeah, and it's not the, personal, right? Yeah, right. I mean, just, if you're a bar right now, you're just not buying beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's that's an obvious example, but I think you know the the way this is all cascading through the economy, I think a, a lot of things are that stark, even though it, you know you might not realize the you know the way this would affect wheat consumption or something right like yeah, the, yeah. um you, you know the the uh but yeah i think you know short if you want to re rework business relationships don't do it on a permanent basis because of this make it a if someone needs to needs a 20 percent discount great but make it for make it for two months and then then it's going to pop back automatically and we can rediscuss exactly right. and then if you tie it back to the value then you're saying look i'm giving this to you but here's the value you know, here's yeah. the value that we've delivered to you. Here's the value we're going to deliver to you when you people go back in the field and start utilizing the product again. So we'll pause it now because I know you're not getting all of that value. But, you know, when we're back again, you know, your little payment compared to this big value is what we're what we want to remain focused on. And those outcomes are the focus, not the price, not the contract. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, are there any daily habits or routines that salespeople should try now yep. and try to you try to try to do now that they're working remotely. I'll go through mine. I mean, I've I've worked remotely for a long time, and you know sometimes it's hard to keep on track. So what do I do? I accomplish something right away. When I get out of bed in the morning, I make my bed. That's a arm, army trick, a military trick that I learned a long time ago. Um, I journal. Uh, I make sure that every day I list what's going to make today great. There's three items I list. So what's going to make today great? This podcast, by the way, and doing well on it. And my customer demos was one of them. Uh, so hopefully I'm, I'm doing well with that. Done, that'll, that'll be one of my checklists. Well, you, you've done fantastically. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send this out to my whole team. So I think the things that you've said awesome. here are just, are just awesome. You know, and so the journal, I, I put down my affirmations, um, you know, that, uh, you know, what I'm, I, I 
think I've done well and, and how I need to affirm to myself to tell myself that I'm a good person or, or doing well or successful or smart or athletic that day. Uh, and I put down the 10 things that I'm grateful for. And I do that every day or try wow. to every day. And so, you know, right away, I'm accomplishing something when I get up. Um, I'm, I journal. And then I also think that you need to keep active. And, you know, a lot of us, I, I would go to spin class religiously, the gym a lot of times, and my whole routine is totally upset, you know. So how do you keep the physical activity up so that you're mentally strong and focused right away with the journaling and the, and the accomplishment, and then that you stay physically focused as well? And I think those two things will keep you professionally on track. I'm sure Peloton can't even uh, make make their bikes fast enough to meet demand right I now. I think that's probably true because I'm highly considering, all right, am I ready to jump back into a sweaty room with 40 other people riding within inches of me uh, again, which I love the social aspect of it and the kind of working as a team towards a goal. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in, in the post-virus world, you know, Peloton's looking pretty good right now. <laughs> I, I have uh, I've had a stationary bike at home for years. Um, I have a Kaiser, which is kind of like yeah. the uh, very similar machine to Peloton, but it's uh, from a hardware perspective. But it doesn't come so it's, it's just a lot cheaper because it doesn't come with the uh, the classes. The subscription. But if you it, wanted, yeah. you could still buy the Peloton subscription. I mean, it's yeah, same same classes work. Yeah, but, they use Kaiser Berks bikes at the Y, where I sometimes go to spin class as well. Yeah, so yeah, very so I, 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 yeah. I I couldn't. I, I couldn't uh, recommend that more in these in these times to have a have a bike in your in, in the corner of your living yeah. room. Again, I think it's all about keeping that right mindset, right? And that's what all of those things I think help me to do: um, staying physical and uh, you know making sure that you know you, uh, my journal is right here, you know. So I've got my journal, and uh, I keep all of those things going as a as a habit. And you have to create new habits of success. You know, one of my habits was I'd go to a coffee shop every morning and write can't do that anymore so I've had to find a different way so I go to a different room in the house to maintain that habit or I'll go out mm -hmm. to the dock or do something like that to make sure that you know you're, you're creating these new habits that are going to reinforce the practices that you ultimately need to achieve to hit your achievements mm -hmm. um, well in your opinion what's the biggest lesson salespeople can learn during a time like this yeah um, the biggest lesson I think is, what is that for me? Um, that there's more, to, you know, th this is a lesson that's going to be odd for salespeople, but for me, it's, there's more to life than just work. And um, this, I think, has reinforced that a little bit. You know, don't forget about family and friends and your outside interests. And there's some balance to things, right? It shouldn't all be about money all of the time. And I think that during periods of growth that we experienced, you know, since the post-financial crisis, one of the, you know, once that turnaround hit, it's been off to the races for, gosh, over 10 years, right, of a bull market. And we tend to get focused on a lot of material things during those times and about finance as being the center of everything. And through some of my personal losses, I'm a widower at a fairly young age. And through some of the things I've learned in life lessons, you know, uh, even I had to be reminded, and I think this has been a big reminder to me that it's like, look, you know, get back to some of the things that you need to, that are maybe not money and success or, and, you know, kind of um, uh, material oriented, um, the more spiritual, the more um, 
you know, personal connections, I think, are important. And I think we've learned a lot through this with social distancing and loss of job and a lot of personal strife that a lot of us are going through. Try to take the positives out of that. We're now able to spend more time with family. Uh, my daughter's home from college, uh, 3,000 miles away. She goes to Pepperdine in California, and I don't see her much, but now she's home all the time. So there are some gifts that have been provided to us through this that even though we may be struggling with some of that, there are still gifts that we can look at uh, through these times. Yeah, really powerful message. I, uh, I guess I'm going to try to summarize all the things that you've that you've uh, covered. We went over a lot of ground, man. Yeah, this is this is this is this is a hard one. Um, well, CFOs are are looking at the budget right now um, more than ever, and sellers are facing what what Tom calls a, uh, a what Tom's trademarked, I think, a frugalnomic economy. Um, sellers need to communicate how buyers will one save cost, two, improve productivity, and three, avoid risks and capture business growth. I guess that's kind of three on four. four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my notes, are, my notes aren't like numbered a... well. <laughs> but, but yeah, re- that's, uh, couldn't be more true. Um, salespeople need to proactively put together a business case for their champions that uh, will give that champion the financial justification that they need to socialize around their organization, up the chain to the people that hold the purse purse strings so that a purchase will be made. Absolutely. These numbers are, are, are important, but you also should present them in a way that tells a story, a story about the company's challenges and their strategic goals and how you're gonna help. In a new product sale, you're going to have to justify your product or service from a, from an ROI and, and, and value perspective. In a renewal or an upsell situation, you should be proactively doing a business case on what you've delivered so far to the customer that you that uh, and what be able to really quantify what value you've brought their organization. Show them that the what what ROI they've already realized or how much value they've gained and and uh, give it to provide that to your pro, to your uh, to to your sponsor in a way that they can use that to to keep your service not stop using it and, and prove the value to their superiors. Tricks and thoughts while selling remote. Put together interactive product brochures and 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 customer product decks that can be shared with your customer via a shareable link. Um, Make your presentations visually compelling. Uh, It's so much harder to to keep people's attention when you're you're remote than you can in person. Use video calls and keep the video on so that you can continue to connect with your customer uh, while you're remote. Use the DPF strategy to sell effectively while you're remote. That's diagnose, prescribe, and facilitate. So diagnose, I mean, uh, Tom means ask the right questions to diagnose the challenges that, that your customer or prospect is experiencing and make sure to be empathetic, especially in these times. Second is prescribe, create a use case 
that's applicable to the buyer and understand how these use cases will keep changing uh, throughout the experience with the, uh, with the product or service. Three, facilitate, understand the different stakeholders so that you can make the buyer's journey easier. Your biggest competition in the pre-sale right now is do nothing. It, status quo, sometimes you're gonna run into build versus buy in frugalnomics more and more as, you know, as we enter this new, 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 new post-COVID economy that no one, you know, it's April 9th right now, no one, no one knows what it's gonna look like. Mm -hmm. um, start by providing value instead of showing features. Focus, focus in on, on the value, which, you know, this is, this is something that we know we, we, it's, a, it's a already a maximum sales to focus on your value, not your features. But now this is going to be more important than ever as people are going to question the, the, the value more than ever. Field salespeople will need to, to really keep positive during this time, even though you're going to experience more no's, stay in a winning mindset. There'll be small victories throughout this journey and you want to make sure to celebrate those, those victories. And, and, you know, historically some of your victories may have been, you know, getting the actual sale. Now the victory may be getting down to the one objection. We'll do this as soon as, you know, as soon as this, this is all, as soon as we get through this or get our, you know, get, get our PPP check or, you know, are able to go out again and into the field, et cetera. Um, as a manager, you have to make sure that you help salespeople with their positive mindset if, if uh, they're doing everything that they can do to bring value right now. You have to, you have to help them stay positive because it's going to be a tough time for everyone. Um, so, uh, and, and, and that's sometimes going to mean not bringing things to a close, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, well, Tom, I, I, this has been a fantastic episode. Where, where can our listeners read more about your work? How do they reach out to you? Yeah, the best place is on Evolved Selling, E-V-O-L-V-E-D, EvolvedSelling.com. Uh, that's my Evolved Selling Institute. And there you can find all of my writings, um, ways to reach out to me, uh, interactive tools that can help guide your personal journey, uh, copy of the book, and a free download as well. And we're offering uh, free um, books, uh, interactively online books during this period as well. So that'll be uh, launched here shortly. So just reach out to me on there on evolvedselling.com. And uh, that'll be a great community for you all to join to learn more if you thought this information was helpful to learn more. Fantastic. And Steve, great notes, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> well, you, you gave us a lot here today. So that, that, that was really fantastic. This has been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. And I, I really appreciate your time today, Tom. If any of our listeners can, can think of other sales reps or sales managers that would benefit uh, from, from the things Tom's talked about today, uh, please forward this on to them. And take care until next time, everybody. Bye.